Welcome to episode six of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. This is your host, Andrew. I'm Eli. And welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, how you doing? We are marching right along, episode six. Th- this has been fun. Andrew and I, we were just talking that uh, many podcasts die on the cold hearth of episode seven. Mm. They call it Pod Fade. And I'd like to make a guarantee that you will not experience Pod Fade with Caucus Talk. You heard it here first. I actually heard that here first, too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I almost have our our catchy slogan in the beginning memorized. Well, don't rush yourself. Okay. (laughs) It's only been six episodes. We're making progress. Hey, listeners, we're glad you're with us today. Uh, We have... A very interesting guest for you today. I would call it fascinating. Yeah, you know, we've talked already about the land and that the North Caucasus is a great place to come as a tourist, but you're really going to hear from an expert today. You're going to hear a lot more in depth what you can do and what this this place offers as far as that reco- now, is regarded. people throw the word expert around, you know, expert opinions. Whenever you're in a tight court case, you just get your expert. What do you... Really mean. We're going to hear from an... How, do you, how are you an expert? Who could be an expert in tourism yes. in the North Caucasus, Andrew? Okay, well, a little sneak peek. Our, our guest, as far as we know, is the only Westerner who lives in the North Caucasus and runs a tour company, a tour operator. And if you're out there, number two, we want to hear from you. We want you on our show. That's right. But I, he's the only one we know so as far. As far as we know. As far as we know. You, you can correct us if we're wrong, and we will apologize live on air. But so this guy, he has been doing this several years now, uh, bringing tourists to the North Caucasus. He really knows the area well. He knows a lot of what is offered here. And so you're going to hear some really cool things today. And not only what is offered, they are creating um, new venues and um, creating inroads into the wonders of the Caucasus yes. through their tour packages. So a lot of good stuff in store. Yes. So that's coming up. But before we get to that, we have a quiz. I have a quiz for you listeners and mainly for Eli. Now, in a, you know, a recent episode, you, you pulled out the, um, we had a news minute and then we had a tourism tip and now we've yes. got a, a quizzical quandary. Quaqua quiz quiz. Caucasus quiz. <clears throat> Caucasus quiz. Let's pretend he didn't say that. No, it's a good try. Okay. I'm, I can be more delighted. Okay. So we need a buzzer. Like, I'll, I, maybe I'll do the noise. I will be the buzzer. <laughs> do you have taboo? We could get the, that thing. <laughs> Sends shivers up my spine. So listeners, we've talked about Mount Elbrus is uh, the highest mountain peak in Europe, and that's here in the North Caucasus. Eight, over 18,500 feet. Yes, we've had some confusion about its height in meters and feet. <laughs> 18,000 um, meters! Yes. But so I thought it would be interesting to see who of you listeners, but really Eli here on, <laughs> on air. And I am a listener. Yes. Uh, how many of you know the seven highest summits in the world? Oh, yes. Are you going to ask me? Of, of course, we're going we're gonna to. Yeah, you're the baseline here. It's not the seven highest summits. It's the seven summits, which is one in each continent, right? That's right. All right. So the highest on each continent, these are called the seven summits. And this is a big deal, for, especially for climbers. Man. Um, people try to climb all seven. Okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just bomb this. Hey, I wouldn't Here I would go. not have done that well either. Everest. Okay, so why don't you just name what you think you know? Okay. Right. Everest one. Everest in Asia. Yes. Elbrus in Europe. Yes. Kilimanjaro in Africa. Yes. Uh, McKinley in North America. Yes. That's four. Man, that's, that's a good start. Three to go. Yeah, that, those are the four so kind of gimmies. The only, the only geographical feature I know of in Australia is Dyer's Rock, and it's <laughs> like 300 feet tall, so I'm pretty sure that's not it. All right. I know no rock formations in Australia. Okay. The only mountain I know of in um, South America by mm-hmm. name is Patagonia, which is not a mountain. It's a region. Okay. And I don't know any of the, you know, I've read enough of the magazines. I should. So I'm going to say the Jesus statue in, in, is that Rio? Rio? In Rio. That's the, uh, uh, <laughs> not a mountain, the Jesus statue. I do statue. know the name of a peak in Antarctica. Oh. It's Queen Mab. Wow. Named after the Shakespeare. Not it, but impressive. Thank you. Yes. So I'm got to be close to three or four out of seven. So you got those first four. That, yes. That's like, I would say, you know, Elbrus for a lot of people is not a gimme, but because yes, we live here. studying. Yeah, you got Elbrus, Everest, McKinley in North America, and also Kilimanjaro, as, I would say, is not a gim- gimme for everybody. Well. So that, that's pretty good. You got four out of seven. And I just do want to say the name has officially been changed to Denali. Yes. From McKinley. That's right. But we're not getting into that. But there it is. Okay. So let's work through those. And I also want to say to my friend named Denali from high school who climbed Denali, I just want to say hi, in the absurdly small chance you're listening. All right, go on. Wow. What are the odds? What are the odds? Okay, so let's start. Number one, and listeners, uh, I'm sure you were going through your head there too. Uh, why don't you write us if you knew all seven? And we will, we will on air give you a shout out. And do you know what? All right, just a teaser. We will be giving. We will be sending gifts. There will be rewards. This is something I have not even mentioned to Andrew. He yeah. just is looking. But I want to reward you guys with like actual gifts from the caucuses. Wow. Okay. For our quizzes, so we're going to be doing quizzes. Okay. If you ever read the Pioneer Woman website, which I can just tell from the look on Andrew's face, he reads <laughs> daily. Um, she has recipes and stuff. She does awesome quizzes. I open it right after I read ESPN.com. I go to PioneerWoman.com. <laughs> <laughs> It's the reverse order for me, but same, same idea. <laughs> all right, let's carry on. Okay, so listeners, email us. If you knew all seven off the top of your head, I'm about to go through them now. Pause this podcast and email me at podcast <laughs> at caucustalk.com. Is that it. right? That's it. Podcast at caucustalk.com. C-A-U-C-A-S. The talk. depth com. of honor required in this honor system quiz yes. cannot be plumbed. All right. Okay. So for the rest of you like me and Eli that probably didn't know that, here they are. Okay, tallest summit in the world, that's Mount Everest. Do you Easy. know what country that's in? Asia. <laughs> See, this is hard. I don't think I would have I would this. say it's in Tibet. Close. It's in Nepal. No, I'm so are those close? I'm going to edit that out. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> Tibet and Nepal, are those close? So it's t- 29,000, 29 feet. Jeez. I'm sorry. We're Americans. We don't have the meter estimations. Divided by three in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we're not even going to guess. It's 29,029 feet, and that is by far the highest peak in the world. It's also called Mount Chamalungma. I'm sure your pronunciation was perfect on that. I definitely but butchered that. If someone else can help us pronounce that, you can send that in too. Okay. 
So that's that, Everest. Um, I don't have these in ranking of height, but I'm going to go through the obvious ones first. All right, next. This is, from what I can tell, I'm looking at a picture. I think this is third highest in the world. McKinley <laughs> in North picture. America. Or Denali. And that's in Alaska, in case you what didn't What is that, 20,000? 20, oh, you don't have the heights. 20,327 feet. Bang! Yeah. So... I actually, we, my wife and I did our honeymoon in Alaska. I thought you were going to say on McKinley. (laughs) We had nosebleeds for about four days. Great, great resort. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we didn't get to see the peak. It was clouded over the whole time. Rip off. But that's in Denali National Park. Beautiful place. Um, So that's up in Alaska. So Everest and McKinley slash Denali. Then this was probably half our listeners got this. Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. You're guessing that half of them got this. Yeah, I, I think probably people have heard that name but may not have guessed it for this. It's in that song, Bless the Rains Down in Africa, isn't it? Don't they say Kilimanjaro? Oh. Africa. We'll have, to, we'll have to listen to it and play okay. it. Yo. We'll have a link to that song in the show notes. Kenya? It's actually in Tanzania. Ugh. But yeah, this is interesting. Listen, I know Tanzanians, and I, yeah, yeah. The, I have a friend who he's is studying in Russia right now. He's from Tanzania, and he explained this to me last year. You can get to Kilimanjaro both from Kenya and from. Tan- See, that's why I thought that. Yes, obviously, and it's like this. <laughs> it's on the border, basically. Yeah, and there's a lot uh, of like things happening. Who, which way you, which airport you should fly into, okay. where the guides should come. A lot of scuttlebutt come. around getting to Kilimanjaro. Yeah. But uh, that's 19,341 feet. Dang. Yeah, so it's, it's high. All right. Then the last one was Elbrus. Got that. Yeah. So Elbrus is 18,510 feet. That's here in the North Caucasus. We've talked about that. Something you didn't know or you may not have known about Elbrus is it, it's an inactive volcano. This I did not know. Yes. The last eruption was over, it was around 2,000 years ago, between 0 and 100 A.D., and they have video evidence of that too. Yeah, so, we'll, have a, we'll have a link to that also in the show. <laughs> video. <laughs> no video evidence. But yeah, so really interesting. It's an inactive volcano, Mount Obris. All right, so you got four. I got four. You got the big four. All right, let's, let's I want to know Australia. All right, so Australia. Or Oceania, as yeah. we should more properly. My understanding is they would be included in Oceania. Absolutely. And Oceania's highest peak is in Indonesia. Okay. Indonesia. It's called Karstens Pyramid. I'm probably butchering that too. Or Mount Karstens or Puncak Jaya. I'm just feeling like really conspicuously ethnocentric that I just went straight to Australia and I didn't think about Oceania. 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 Sorry so that's like to like basically all the all the islands friends. south of yeah, Asia. Of the mainland. Yeah. And east. That's right. All the way out to Vanuatu and yeah. Yeah. So I know that, you guys. You're on my map. I, I, no way I would have gotten that. Shout out to Vanuatu. It says there's a government permit required for access to the summit, and it's home to one of the world's largest mines. And I'm looking at this peak. It's very rocky and jagged, like pointy. It looks Do, different. Does it have the, the altitude? 16,024 feet. That's major. So it's the, it's the smallest of the seven peaks, but still, that's high. Do you know that the youngest person to ever climb... Mount Elbrus was an Indonesian girl. Wow. No. How old do you think? Eight. Seven. Wow. 
She was going for all seven peaks. That's a fun fact. Right there. A fun fact. I did one. That girl has more ambition already at her age stage of life than maybe <laughs> most of the rest of us. So there, there's a category breaker there. Indonesian girl mountaineers. Yes. I didn't have that category. All right. Here is a, you, you mentioned Antarctica and I wouldn't even have thought of Antarctica. The seven continents. I know. North America, South America. <laughs> so, again, if you knew this, props to you. Vincent Massif. Uh, 16,000. Massif is a kind of a thing. Vincent Massif. 16,050 feet. 16,050 feet. And it's 150 miles from the South Pole. It was first climbed by the American Alpine Club in 1963. And obviously, it's really cold down there. So <laughs> maybe that had something to do with that's why it was only. Yeah. 63. Yeah. At least when we can. You know, I saw a pair of down pants in the store yesterday. I was in a camping store looking for a water bottle mm-hmm. and have all their winter clothes there. I mean, those things look toasty. You know, you like a puffy jacket, but puffy pants. I was just thinking about what I would be doing that would necessitate down pants. And. One answer would be like walking down the street in half of this country during half of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Or summiting the highest mountain of Antarctica. Of Antarctica. That would definitely merit puffy pants and many other puffy things. All right, last one. What percentage of people that fly to Antarctica do you think are going to summit that mountain? A lot. Yeah? I would think. Because I think a lot of people do, uh, what's it called, Antarctica by by boat. Okay. You can take like boat tours. Yes. I mean, I guess. My last international flight home, I watched a documentary on Antarctica and it was fascinating. People take planes and boats. Mainly take planes there. Probably, yeah, it's probably planes. But they bring in ships of cargo. Ah. Yeah. For the population down there. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. You know there's a post office in Antarctica? I know people who took a tour down there huh. and you can send a letter that gets postmarked from Antarctica. Wow. Talk about a, a souvenir. I mean, that's, that is you got to be there, right? Respect to the Antarctican, Antarctican mailman. Yeah. Pe- pe- yeah. All right. I want to hear this, this uh, right. Latin American one. Let's Last go. peak. Most people have heard of the Andes. Duh. It's in the Andes mountain range. That was Russian. Does yes, in Russian. Uh, Aconcuaga, Kagawa. Mm, see, that's the one I didn't. Yeah. Remember. But it's 22,841 feet. That's the second highest in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's in Argentina. It's 15 kilometers from the border of Chile. Aconcuaga. Probably butchering that. Well, I'm sure every mountaineer is rolling their eyes like you guys said. You didn't know this stuff. That's like. Sorry. But I didn't think. This is not our field of expertise. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, we do have an expert coming. Who's not, going yeah, to not sure you? what our field of expertise is, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so that's the seven highest summits in the world. Let's try to name them by memory right now. I'm going to start with Aconcuaga. 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 Sorry if we butchered that. Something massive. South America. Vincent Massif. Vincent Massif. Antarctica. Uh, you name the Indonesian one. Indonesia. Karstens. Karstens sounds Mount really Karstens. good. Because it's rocky. Oce- that's Oceania. Denali. Denali in North America. Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro in Africa. Everest. Everest in Asia. And last? Elbrus. Not least. You think they'll ever make, you know how they made that movie uh, Everest? You think they'll ever make a movie called Elbrus? Elbrus? <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> Come on, somebody do that. All right. So good job if you got that. 
again, email us. Hopefully you already emailed us if you know all seven summits and there will be some something coming to you sometime. And if the Eli's in charge of that Google search result that Andrew got those answers off of is wrong, let us know. Yes. I'll have a we'll have a link to this article about the summits. I learned something new reading that. Okay. With no further ado, let's bring on our expert in tourism in the North Caucasus, Shannon Scarborough. Ow, ow, Welcome. Ow. Hey guys, thanks so much for the warm welcome. Appreciate it. <laughs> now I just want to say right up front, uh, in case you're already picking up on this accent. Shannon is from the South. This is a conspiracy. They're, they've surrounded us. They've. <laughs> I was very happy when I first met him here because I'm from North Carolina, and he. Where? Tell us where you're from, Shannon. So I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. Yes. But, but so. that's not really how you would say it. No, no. I, I would just say Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. But anyway, I but guess really how, you oh, can hear the accent coming out in my voice. Yeah, I just you know, we just connect. <laughs> they talk we, slow, we have that they drink sweet tea, they have porches. No, um, do you uh get does it get worse when you get when you visit home? I don't mean worse like Whoa. an accent's bad. <laughs> you guys seem to have done fine in the big wide world with your accents. All right. No, okay. but seriously, does your accent get stronger when you go home? Absolutely. Yeah. When I'm around my my mom, especially because she's from, you know, middle to south Georgia. Her accent is so thick, you you're, wouldn't even be sure she's speaking English. A spoon and so, would stand up in it, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. America. Okay, Shannon, tell us about yourself. What are you doing here in the North Caucasus? Sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm 42 years old. I, I've been married for almost exactly 10 years. All right. And, uh, my wife, Michelle, she's fantastic, as are our three girls. We have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, mm-hmm. and- you know, I would have, I would have never uh, told you that. You know, uh, to be to be sunless would have been so fulfilling. But I got to tell you, our family that's uh, awesome. dynamic is fantastic. So well said. Anyway, well said. Uh, we're uh, we've been in the caucuses for about four and a half years. Okay, and uh, we weren't planning on coming here. Actually, for us, uh, I think we would all really say that the Lord brought us to the North Caucuses. I mean. Uh, I knew for a long time that that having international business would be something that was really interesting cool. for me, and I didn't know about the North Caucasus. So uh, my family, we landed in in uh, Istanbul, Turkey, probably right around this time huh. in 2010, and then we started researching what we thought would be good business opportunities. But we were we were looking really for the areas that were most exciting to us that we knew about, and that would be you know farther inland in Asia. We uh-huh. really thought that that was nostalgic and uh-huh. uh, kind of grabbed our our interest. Uh-huh. But uh, as it ended up, our our initial focus was on Turkmenistan, and we for tourism for tourism. Yeah, I bet that's uh-huh. not a I bet that's. Not a saturated market yet, is it? <laughs> no. Western it, tourism business. It, it was actually on my list of places to go in 2010. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I mean, actually, in, in 2009, my uh, wife and I, we took a tour into Turkmenistan. And oh, wow. Sure. And for us, it was, you know, a kind of a, a trial run to see what it was like there, you know, and really be exposed to, to what they have to offer and how they offer it. And it, it wasn't until, you know, after uh, we moved to Istanbul that we really started to think that we, 
could do a better job than the the tour that we took. I'm not yeah. trying to say that you know those guys didn't provide a good tour, but but we really saw some ways that they didn't understand the mind of the Western traveler. No, no problem. Uh-huh. And mediocrity has been the, uh, the motivation for much excellence in the world. I think there's no, <laughs> no shame in that. Yeah. So listeners, uh, I'm just going to assume none of you have been to Turkmenistan and, uh, assuming most of you don't know where it is. Andrew goes way out on limbs here. I can't believe it. Don't be insane. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You can, you can email us about that, but Turkmenistan is, it's on the other side of the Caspian Sea. So Dagestan is the eastern end of the North Caucasus, and uh, you cross the Caspian Sea. Is that correct? I know it's in that region. Does it actually border the Caspian it Sea? It sounds like Andrew doesn't exactly know where Turkmenistan is. <laughs> Central, Central Asia. If you hear all the Stans, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan's right there. That's right. Turkmenistan is connected to the Caspian. Okay. Can now, you take a ferry from, from Dagestan, do you think? You know, you know, I'm not sure if you can take a ferry from Dagestan. I know the most famous ferry that existed, at least in Soviet times, was from Baku, Baku over to, um, I think, what is now Turkmenbashi. Baku Baku is in Azerbaijan, right south of Dagestan. Uh Wow. So what is the capital of Turkmenistan? (laughs) Ashgabat is the capital. Ashgabat. Right. Ashgabat. Right. That just sounds like a place you buy you buy carpets. <laughs> That's a tasty tidbit for our listeners. Capital of Turkmenistan. You know where it's located now, and the capital is Ashgabat. You, you are armed and equipped for your next cocktail party. <laughs> yeah, now uh, the capital of Turkmenistan. Cool. Okay, so you had an eye on tourism. Uh, you guys have, wow, you're seasoned veterans living overseas. So you're Americans, but you've lived overseas for more or less eight years now. That's right. And you ended up landing in the North Caucasus. Uh, so where exactly do you live in the North Caucasus and what has come of your desire to do tourism? Sure. So let me, let me make the transition for you real quick. It, it ended up that uh, we weren't able to follow through with the opportunity in Turkmenistan. We had, we had visa issues there that we couldn't resolve. But uh, I told you before that I really feel like God led us to the North Caucasus because I didn't really know where the North Caucasus were. Uh-huh. And so I met someone in Istanbul that he, he said, you know, if tourism is what you think is interesting, then you really should come to the North Caucasus and open a business. Uh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I said, where? Yeah, and he said yeah. the North Caucasus. And I said, right, yeah, the North Caucasus. Uh, where? <laughs> and so he, uh, he said, well, just come see me for a week. And I did. And this was in 2012. And, you know, when I saw what the North Caucasus have to offer as far as tourism, I, I knew right away that this was the place that we should come. I just want to say come and see is the kind of invitation that, that you really want. You know, there's nothing like coming and whatever it is. And that those words have have played a big role in a lot of people's lives, right? Just come and see. And I just want to say to those of you listening who are thinking about a visit, coming, you know, whatever it is, North, just come and see. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So, Shannon, when you say when you first came here, you knew this was a place to do tourism. Like, what what is it about the North Caucasus? What are the kind of things that are unique to this region, sure. especially for tourists? Well, you know, the name of the company that we've started is Elbrus Elevation. And okay. so I have to start right there. Uh, the, the, in my mind, pinnacle, if you'll allow me to say that, of the, hey! North, <laughs> of the North Caucasus is, is going to be Mount Elbrus. I mean, Mount Elbrus is the tallest peak in Europe. And 
amazingly for most Westerners, Mount Elbrus is not on their radar because uh, it's it's been you know if you if you'll allow it to to be behind the Iron Curtain for so long, That's right. people just oh, weren't really aware of its existence. Fades out of out of you. Right. That's right. But but we're starting to try to open up awareness into the Western markets for what a great adventure it is to climb to the top of Mount Elbrus. It's it's over 18,500 feet and you know it's it's just short of McKinley's height, but you know different from Mount McKinley, people haven't heard of Elbrus. And so when we tell people about it, they're excited about it and when we tell them that we can you know, take them from wherever they're they're sitting in the West over to the top of Mount Elbrus. They're interested immediately. That's awesome. That's a really good point because uh, it was in the Soviet Union, just not as many people knew about it. So it's the highest peak in Europe in the world. Do you know what number peak it is as far as height? No, I don't. I, in fact, I know that there's so many high peaks in and around uh, Everest. Yes. That I think that really, if if you consider the height of Elbrus against those mountains, it wouldn't even be that impressive. Okay. Sure. But the fact that there's a group of people out there that want to climb the highest summit on each continent, yes. it really puts Elbrus on the map because you need to, to come and you need to climb to the top of it for your highest peak in Europe. Yeah. That's really interesting because I think when people think Europe, the highest mountains, they think the Alps, right? The Swiss Alps. And the, Alp, the interesting thing about the Alps is they're not actually themselves very high, but because everything around them is so low, they have a, a, this stunning, breathtaking effect because of the ah. sudden change in elevation, like like the Jungfrau or, or, or whatever it is. But they're not actually, they don't rank globally in terms of height. Interesting. Yeah, so Elbrus and hence the Caucasus, or the highest mountains in Europe. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's awesome. But you know, it doesn't stop there. I mean, the the whole region has incredible things to offer as far as tourism. Uh, I would say that specifically so far to this point, we've been focused on mountain tourism and you can branch out into um, rafting, which we're developing right now, mountain biking. We're trying to develop a good mountain biking tour right now and we're most of the way there. Huh. Also, you you have beautiful scenery, geography, waterfalls, awesome terrain for trekking, camping. If you like the outdoors, there's something for you here in the North Caucasus. Can you compare the Caucasus Mountains in terms of alpinism and, and hiking to a region in the U.S. that you're familiar with? I mean, what's it most like? We've had people tell us that Colorado, Utah, that area is right. probably going to be the, like the, the most like this area that we find here. But also, uh, my wife is from Alaska, and so she said more than once that being here reminds her of being back home. And I think well, that, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I think Alaska. that you know that right there speaks uh, volumes because having been up there with with uh, my wife's family in Alaska, I know that it's a beautiful area, and I see I see the resemblance. I see why she says that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we, my wife and I, actually did our honeymoon in Alaska. And I often, when I talk to people here, say the Caucasus reminds me a lot of Alaska. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, cool. So you're here in the North Caucasus. Where to specifically do you live? We did like a basic overview of the North Caucasus geography, the republics, um, in a recent episode. Tell us what city you live in, what republic, and specifically, we talked about some of the different ethnic groups here. Who are some of the uh, different, like, peoples or ethnic groups you're rubbing shoulders with every day? Sure. 
So if you consider that the North Caucasus lies between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and you pretty much pick a central spot, there's a a city right in the middle called Nalchik, and it's Nalchik. Right, Nalchik is the name of the city, and it's the capital of Kabardino-Balkaria. And Kabardino, just, just flowed right off your tongue, man. <laughs> Sounds great. So smooth. <laughs> Nothing like Kabardino Balkari with that southern drawl. <laughs> oh, you guys, you know you love it. You, you're going to be asking me to just repeat Kabardino Balkari over and over. You again might be here. our first repeat guest that we have on the show. In the north, we're just jealous in the north that we don't have any accent that people want. <laughs> Well, so Cabardino uh, Balkaria is where we actually have most of our, our tours right now. Okay. And f- but hence the name of the republic, the people groups of Kabardians and Balkars are the ones that we are around the most uh, in, huh. in Nalchik. Probably uh, maybe 70% of the population-ish is going to be Kabardian and probably 15 to 20% is going to be Balkar. Okay. And then the rest would be... Uh, Russian and other ethnicities Russian, mixed in there. Couple, two or three Americans. <laughs> That's right. Thrown That's in the right. mix. Uh, so uh, Shannon said, I want to make a note. He said Kabardians. Uh, sometimes you hear Kabardines. Uh, in Russian, it's Kabardine. Uh, I've heard English people say Kabardians or Kabardines, but yeah, that's that's what he's talking about. And that, again, we've talked about this. Kabardines are one of the Circassian peoples or Circassian peoples. Um, very cool. So is Nalchik like... Is it right in the middle of the mountains, or what? It, what does that look like? You live in Nalchik, but you're doing stuff in the mountains in Elbrus. Sure. So, uh, really, Nalchik is a great central spot in the Republic to go up into each of the different valleys that offer something just a little bit different mm-hmm. there in and around Elbrus. And so, you know, from my apartment in Nalchik, if I if I didn't have you know some buildings built right in front of our windows, you know, I would be able to lean out and I would be able to look at snow covered peaks for six months of the year. Wow. And so that's, that's really, really nice. But, you know, it gets a lot nicer when you know that, you know, in, in two, two and a half hours from Nalchik, you can be in the really tall peaks up in and around Elbrus and, you know, you can find snow there all the time. And so that's nice, but also uh, we can get to the, to the end of four other valleys uh, in two hours or less from Nalchik. And so Nalchik is a great hub within the Republic to be able to go to all the different tourist locations. That's cool. So uh, I recently went on a tour with Shannon's company, Elbrus Elevation. And uh, Shannon, I want you to speak specifically, obviously like there are a good number of uh, companies that do tourism type activities in the North Caucasus uh, what do you think makes your company unique, uh, specifically in regards to your employees and like who the tourists are rubbing shoulders with every day on your tours? Mm-hmm. So first, I should say that Elbrus Elevation is an inbound tour operator. Okay. And so, you know, lots of people, they think that tour agencies or tour operators, they're always sending and receiving tourists. That's not true with Elbrus Elevation. We just bring tourists in from the outside. Okay. And from our the outside, what do you mean the outside? Okay, inbound to the Caucasus from Right. So by outside, I I don't necessarily mean outside any borders for a country, you know, we would love for people from anywhere to come, but yeah. I outside, I mean outside of this area people yeah. who have never been here. Okay. And so uh one of the things that we try to offer well because we're such a unique entity here in the North Caucasus is 
we offer an understanding of the Western mind so that when, when Western travelers come in, and of course, we, we welcome travelers from all over, but because you know I'm an American, I have a mindset like an American, yeah. and I try to cater to a Western mind for tourism quality. Yeah. And so we try to make sure that our tours reach a certain level of quality for our our um, clients that come in. Because there's nothing, you can read a thousand websites, you know, and tourism companies can all sound great. They can even have, you know, no grammar errors on their yep. website. But at the end of the day, if the person who is, who has conceptualized this trip is you're in, you're in their hands. And so coming to Albert's elevation, we know we've got Shannon, we've got an American who yep. may understand things at a fine grain level. That goes a long way for an American, I think. Yeah, even so much so that we try to keep the rule in place that if we haven't done it ourselves, then we don't offer it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we... No guinea pigging here. <laughs> We've heard that you can have a great time over in this hut. <laughs> That's right. right. So we're not going to put people out there on an island. You know, we're, we know that what it is that we're offering, it's something that we've sampled. It's something that we approve of. And we really think people will have a great time with it. And And just to take it a step further... Uh, we really want to facilitate the interaction between cultures. I mean, huh. we could talk for so long about the differences between Western cultures and the cultures that you'll find here. But uh, we tried to put together no less than two cultural exchanges per tour that we offer for the tours to be able to interact with the locals in a in a way that is, you know, just low pressure, low stress. We provide the the communication link so that there's no barrier that exists between languages and then people can just talk and have fun over a meal over music uh different different cultural exchanges look different ways but really uh you know one thing that tourism offers that that so many other business models don't offer or business categories don't offer is to bring people together through exchange of ideas Huh. And and uh, you bring what you know from the place where you've grown up and the place where you've lived, the place that you're familiar with, and you bring it to a place that's completely different. Yeah. And, and you share that, but also you don't leave the same. You take on uh, some characteristics of the culture that you visited. You learn about it, and your life has changed, and you're impacted by it. Now, can I just jump with a question here? Because okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think I'm going to be a little skeptical on this. So I love what you're saying. I mean, that's like speak my language. When I think about cultural exchange, maybe like a lot of my countrymen, you know, I go back to like ninth grade in high school in like French class, right? And we have a cultural exchange with someone who is just basically we conclude is just a weirdo. I'm like, picturing my ninth grade French class and, right and now. And it's awkward. And, or if you have like an exchange student and it's like, oh, they're... their hygiene habits are different. And I can't really commit. And, you know, and so you're sort of, and it really ends up, to a lot of people, just feeling awkward, like, okay, I'm supposed to be having this exchange that's high-minded, but at the end of the day, it's just uncomfortable. Why? So here's my, my skeptical question is, why, isn't your, why aren't your exchanges like that? Because I know for a fact they're not. Um, but I, if I, you know, speak to that, maybe the skeptical huh. listener. Sure. So I, I think a lot of the comfort that you'll have on a cultural exchange is going to come from the people who are helping you facilitate the interaction. Uh, we have some really great guys that we uh, employ to do that task. And it's not just anybody that we let do it. It's people that we have a relationship with. It's people that we know 
actually are outside of their own cultural box enough to be able to facilitate healthy interaction, comfortable interaction between two two different groups of of people from different cultures. You've got bridge people there. That's right. Bridge people. We, you know, we, we call them maybe translator guides, Mm -hmm. something like that. And uh, we, we talk to those guys, we tell them, Hey, these are the things that, you know, could arise. And these are the ways that you, you might approach bringing people together. You're not just throwing people into the deep end. There's, there's, they're in good hands, not just yours, but in, in a team that you've assembled. That's, Really helpful to hear. Yeah, I mean, our tour, I, I just want to say, we did a, me and some friends did a four-day tour through El Boost Elevation, and we didn't spend that much time with Shannon. Like, the tour was completely led and facilitated by local people, and it was really cool. Yeah, so I affirm everything he says. And honestly, I I'm, think when I'm people... I'm not skeptical, Eli. When people tour, and I'm only speaking for the skeptics out there, <laughs> Andrew. The people in the North... Um, who are skeptical. <laughs> no, but, and I honestly think when people go to places, when people travel, they really want a cultural exchange. They yeah. want to step outside their box. It's just, how do you do that? You know, you've got your camera around your neck and your Mickey ears on or whatever. You're walking through Paris, and the last thing you're going to get is an authentic cultural exchange, probably. And you might get some exchange <laughs> or whatever. Um, but so I really think this is actually what people, people's hearts really look for and and wish they could have an experience. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I agree with you guys. I mean, I I will say that we label ourselves an adventure tourism company. And so, you know, there's really not every segment of the population that is going to sign up to come and do something that they think in their minds might be awkward. It's only, only the more adventurous percentage of the population that even wants to attempt to do something like this. But we hope that we increase that number every day of people who are willing to because they've heard a good word of mouth testimony of right. what it is like to come over and experience a different culture that more and more people will be open to and eager about coming to do something like this. I'll just say nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's mm-hmm. right. Preach it. All right. So Shannon, you've lived here four and a half years with your family and you have this business, Elbrus Elevation. Uh, you primarily work with uh, local people, Bokhar and Kabardian and I would assume probably some Russians occasionally. Um, what are some things you have learned about the North Caucasus culture? We, we've discussed this. We had a guest recently, a Karachai guest, who discussed this with us. But what are some cool things you've learned here about the culture? Sure. Man, there's, there's so many. Uh, the learning curve is, is practically straight up on this. <laughs> uh, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the orientation around time. I think that in Western culture, from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep, you pretty much know what your day is going to look like and what's going to happen when. You you even have maybe it, it's written in on your calendar, you know. Type, typed in. Right, yes. typed in. <laughs> and you, you wouldn't even say that's true just for one day. You actually know what your week's pretty much going to look like. You mm-hmm. may know what your month is going to look like. You You may know several months out what you anticipate your life looking like. And the North Caucasus does not run on that timetable. Uh, the North Caucasus it, it is really a much slower pace to life where it's not so much about how many things you can fit into a day. It's about how relational you can be with the people that you interact with. And that doesn't fit on a timetable very well. That's exactly right. In fact, it's a little offensive to 
the the locals that we've met whenever we try to put our lives too much on a timetable because uh, they they don't feel like you're trying to relate to them. They feel like you're trying to artificially introduce a, a timetable to something that shouldn't have it. And so I, I would say that's uh, the first thing that comes to mind. I would also say that, uh, you know, in, in general, the American culture right now, maybe this hasn't always been true, but uh, so many people flooded to America in years past that it created a, a cultural melting pot to where cultural identity for so many people became one larger common identity that now is not hinging around people groups so much as national identity. And, mm. and so in that way, a lot of people's cultural traditions that they brought with them from, from wherever they came from, a lot of that has actually been lost to the American culture in lieu of this, this greater identity, nationalistic identity of we're, we're Americans. Mm. And that's wonderful. That's really great. That's one of the things that makes America so unique and fantastic. But you can find something equally as unique and fantastic when you focus on the individual cultures. Mm-hmm. And that in very few places in the world is preserved so well as it is in the North Caucasus. Wow. Because, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how many people groups we have here in the North Caucasus, but, you know, I think it's, it's close to 50 people groups. And if you can imagine that the hub for their culture and their cultural identity in the whole world is found right here in this place, this is a culturally rich environment that offers something that you really can't understand mm. from an American context, for sure, from, a, a, in general, a Western culture context. Perhaps, you know, in Europe that they retain a little bit more cultural identity than America does. But for the most part, Westerners that travel here need to be prepared to understand something that they've never perceived before. It's been lost to our our generations as we have this unique identity that is America. And you can reintroduce yourself to the way, the way things used to be by huh. coming to the North Caucasus and experiencing some of the traditions that really mold the people and who they are. Um, I think about uh, the people, the language, the the culture, the location. These things together all kind of integrate to make the Caucasus experience what it is. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And one thing I really like about what you're saying is that it is simply a different way of life, a different mode. You know, you're not, it's, it, maybe it's easy to romanticize or idealize one cultural way of living versus another yeah. but it's not really the point is not to come in and say oh i'm i'm too schedule oriented that's bad oh these guys have the slow pace of life that's better or the other way around you know uh, that's way too simplistic and we can't divorce ourselves from our culture and same with what you said about identity being ethnic or national you know there may be some some things that um we've lost or that you know in in the kind of american experiment that have been absorbed by something else. It's just a way to get outside of where you are. And that actually helps you see and I think appreciate and love the unique things about your own culture when you come back. Yeah. And you can't really do that just looking at, at nice architecture, which is just fine. But to, to actually mm. interact with people, um, that's just expression in, from living in West Africa, they would say rub skin with people, which I just love that. It's like you're at street level, you know, you know to rub skin is like to actually – Mm. you know, interact. Um, I think that's really important to just recognize 
you know, it's not comparing, but just learning. Yeah. Well, not, yeah. Like I mentioned this in a previous episode, everything I've learned about hospitality, I've learned here in the North Caucasus. <laughs> and uh, I'll just give an example of that. Um, so recently some friends and I, we did a tour with, we did a trekking tour uh, into the, the kind of the wild, the mountains of Cabardino Balcaria through Elbrus Elevation. After that tour then, we spent two days in Ingushetia and my friend, my English friend Visan hosted us. And um, we got there really late that evening to our destination and uh, these English guys, Visan's friends had been cooking this feast for us. I mean, shashlik. We're going to talk about shashlik one day, but that's shish kebabs. That's like the version of grilling out here. But I mean, there was so much food and I mean, we it was like 10.30 p.m., and we just chowed down. There were a lot of us. And we noticed pretty quickly that none of the English guys were sitting with us. Actually, they were all standing behind us. And one of the guys asked, like, why don't you guys sit down and eat with us? And he explained to us, I can't. Like, by English custom, anytime we have guests, we have to – we cannot sit while you're here. We have to actually be standing behind you and serving you the entire meal. That's exactly how Americans wish it were, that their hosts would just stand <laughs> and watch them eat, right? And honestly, it was, you know, I'm a little more used to it because I've been around that. But like for our friends who this was their first time in the Caucasus, it was really awkward for them and uncomfortable. And uh, so we ate till about midnight and then most of us went to bed. So wait, this is just the tourists. This is the Americans, yeah. And you guys are just sitting there and everyone else. They're just serving us and like standing behind us. It's like a wall of guys standing around the table while we're sitting and eating. They're secretly taking bets on like who's going to eat the eyeball or no, I don't know. (laughs) So then we went to bed around midnight. And then what we didn't know was some other Ingush guys came, some of their friends who were older. And so my friend Vishan and his friend who were in their 20s, then by Ingush custom, they have to serve the older guys. And they cannot sit the whole time. So from 12 a.m. to 2 a.m., they stood the whole time and served the older guys. And then they didn't eat until 2 a.m. Wow. Um, And so then the next morning, again, this was happening where they were serving us. And it was really sinking in. I I really saw it, like, connecting with our tourist friends. Like, wow, this is such – I mean, it's such an honorable thing, you know, like – basically making your guest the king. I mean, that awkwardness right. is skin deep, and then it, it passes and you realize what's actually happening. Yeah. that they're, Yeah, what you just said, making your guest the king. That is amazing. Yeah. You certainly hope that, that people passing through are able to pick up on that. I mean, I, you know, I, the tours that we generally plan, they're, you know, between six and eight days, and that includes your, your jet lag that you get to carry with you. But, you know, hopefully all of the, the culture isn't lost on the people that visit because – I mean, try to imagine in, in our busy, hectic, uh, you know, American way of life, we we run around to and fro and scarcely do we find time to, uh, you know, talk to our neighbor next door. Make or, time, I'll say. You know, right, make funny. time. And here, I mean, I even had a, a Balkar friend of mine yesterday say, we don't consider uh, a, a guest to be a disturbance. We actually consider a guest to be a blessing from God to us. So if someone comes to our home, it's as if God sent them to us. And so what a difference in mentality from the way that we receive people uh, according to our cultural understanding versus the way that people here in the North Caucasus will receive people. It's a true, it's a huge difference. It's tremendous 
uh, to imagine what it is that they feel when a guest comes into their home. I joked with my Chechen friend. I said, you're going to have to help me host you. I, I'm not going to try and be Chechen, but you have to understand in America, like the highest compliment you can pay a guest, you know, when you know you're really good friends is when you stay on the couch and you say, help yourself to anything in the fridge. It's like, okay, <laughs> he's part of the family. You know, like to us, that's sort of the high honor. It's like, I don't even need to do anything for you because you feel so at home. <laughs> and that is like about Total as opposite, opposite as yes. you could get. Right. You can't that's even right. imagine. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. That's Shannon, really cool can you tell us any... I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure you've had, I mean, you've been doing this several years now. I'm sure you've either ex- yourself experienced or seen bringing tourists here just some like funny misunderstandings between cultures. Does anything come to mind? Sure. Now, I don't want to roll any of our tourists under the bus on this. So I, I'm, I'm going to take roll the hit. Throw them straight under that bus. <laughs> I'm going to take this hit myself, but I'll, I'll pull an example because there's, there's so many examples. I'm going to pull an example from the tour that you and your friends took. Uh-huh. Is, um, you know, we're preparing for the trek that you guys took. And uh, I was talking to the guide, and of course, I'm I'm doing my best to interact completely in Russian. And so he's explaining what he thinks should be purchased for food around the the campfire. And one of the things that he says would be fantastic, and it's what culturally a lot of the locals do when they go out and they know they're going to have a, a campfire, is they'll they'll have macaroni and tushonka, and uh, to, to me, uh, no, well, to them, that's a specific type of, of pasta noodle. Think something along macaroni. the lines of, yeah, of what we would have is macaroni and cheese. Yeah. And, and then uh, to them also, it, it means uh, canned beef that you can put in a, a pot and boil or you can. Tushonka, that's Tushonka. Right, Tushonka. Okay. And so uh, that's what he thinks he said to me. But what I heard that, was... That is what he said. <laughs> you may think you said but uh, what did you hear? We have this, we have this uh, saying that we like to, to throw around sometimes in my family. We say, I know you think you understood what you thought I said, but I'm not sure if what you heard is just what I meant. Wow, and, and that really, confusing. That's the case, you know, uh, yeah. because what I heard him say was, pick up some kind of noodle, which I go and pick up ramen noodles. Oh. And get some kind of meat. And I got canned fish. And so what the guy told me to get was completely different from what I picked up. And therefore, just listening. At, the, <laughs> at the end of the, the trek, you know, I meet with the guide and, and the guide, his first impact, I mean, his first uh, interaction with me is not, hey, man, great trek. He comes up and he starts, he starts railing me about why I brought all the wrong food. And I said, what are you talking about? I brought exactly what you told me to bring. <laughs> and, you know, of course, you, you know already, we, we had a language barrier and it presented an issue and we had to make the best of it. And so we all learned, we got smarter, we came closer together in our relationship through <laughs> something that was, you know, not, not planned. And you got omega-3 fatty acids out of it. I'm there just saying, you, you know, fish, really it was, good for the brain. I, I was there for that conversation and <laughs> there was... Uh, Shannon's director, uh, Zaur, he speaks fluent English. And so he was like hashing it out a little more in English with us. And uh, it was basically went like this. Zaur said, Shannon, he told you to get meat. And Shannon said, I did get meat. And he said, you got fish. 
And Shannon said, that is meat. And he said, no, it isn't. <laughs> it was really funny. That, that's one of those ones. It's like there's, there's categories of meat. There's chicken, there's pork, and then there's meat, which is beef and lamb. And then there's fish. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's a huh. great one. That's a good one because it, the goal is not seamless. You know, the goal of life is not just everything being perfectly smooth, but working through stuff well. I'm just taking a look at your website here, albruselevation.com. That's E-L-B-R-U-S, elevation, all one word, dot com. Adventure tourism and environmental preservation. That's interesting. Maybe at the end you can mention that. I just want to, I'm looking at these beautiful, dazzling, high-res pictures of mountains and people doing cool stuff. But you don't, it's not just Elbrus. I just want to point this out. You have these different packages, and I'm really, I'm really captivated by the names here, captivated by the names. you got snow skiing, holes in powder, there's extreme Elbrus, which is the actual mountain. You got Waters of Eden, which is a, a hiking, camping, Sounds delicious. Trip. Heaven on horses. Now, I didn't even know you did horse stuff. I consider myself a wannabe has been horse person, so <laughs> I could probably come and injure myself on a horse. Equestrian really, Eli, with a lot of confidence. Um, but that's a summer and fall horseback riding thing. Is that multiple days? Absolutely. I love yeah. That. The horseback tour, uh, we, we actually are yet to have somebody take it, but we've got a local, a well-known local horse master that he keeps his horses half the year down in the lowlands, and then half the year he takes them up into the mountains. And during the time when he's got his horses up in the mountains, he just invites us to bring tourists in and, and let them take this journey that he's put together wow. over the years. And, and honestly, I would say that if you're comfortable on horseback, probably the horseback riding tour is the most epic tour that we have. It's epic. Yeah. Well, I would just like to emphasize, you said you have, you know, a horse master. Raise your hand if you know a horse master. I was master. just thinking, do I know any horse masters? <laughs> this, well, this I would like, like to be the man from Snowy River, so um, I might have to do that. Can I bring my pregnant wife? Maybe when she's closer to delivery, it would be like a little helpful. Never mind. All right. <laughs> you know, my... my Eli, wife, is, this, is this public knowledge? That my wife is pregnant? <laughs> Uh, it is now. <laughs> yep. There you have it. She's pregnant. So, uh, so our, our business director, he likes to say, it's not adventure if you can plan it. And so, you know, if you really awesome. want to have a true adventure, bring your wife on a horse tour. I'm going to write that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to write that indelibly somewhere. Probably not a tattoo, but it's not adventure if you can plan it. Man, I'm going to like etch that into. And this is a cool cultural point because uh, in all of the Caucasus, the Kabardians or the Kabardines, they're most known in history for their horses, uh, for the types, the breeds of horses. Um, yeah. So these are Kabardine horses, right? That's right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's really cool. Heaven on horses. That sounds like an invitation. I'll say, I'll say come and see, come and and ride, get your inner thighs in shape before you come. (laughs) I really didn't mean to talk about inner thighs (laughs) on this, uh, podcast. So, okay. Shannon, uh, tell us real quick. We're going to wrap up here soon. Uh, what are so you offer these? You offer multiple different adventure tour packages. What what are you envisioning for the future of Elbrus Elevation? Sure, go from here. So you know, if you guys can imagine, you're talking about these different tour packages. When when we opened up our doors less than three years ago, we had three and a half tours on our our side and and now for 2018 we've just updated our 
our site with uh, the the new tours, and we're going to offer eleven different variations. Zing! You guys have been sweet. hard at work. Wow. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, we're excited about that. But you know, we've hardly made it into you know the just just the tip of the iceberg of the North Caucasus. I mean, we're focusing right now primarily in Kabardino Balkaria and in Karachayeva Cherkessia. And uh, these are the the places where there's already you know a good infrastructural start to uh, get us get us propelled into doing the things that that we want to offer to tourists. But I mean, there's so much of the the Caucasus that is unexplored, even for us living right here. And so uh, we've got a goal right now for our company to add uh, one tour, one multi day adventure that we package each year, mm-hmm. and we also try to add one mountain craft uh, into our offerings each year. And so uh, that's right. Know, I just, so there's this link here, mountain crafts shop. When I click on it, it's products. It's a products page, but these are not products that I think you would get anywhere else at Walmart. Definitely not. You know, these products, what makes them so unique, so cool is that they're, you know, if we're going to offer them as part of our mountain crafts, they're going to have to be, handmade products by the peoples in the North Caucasus. And so, for example, right now on our site, you can find uh, two different types of products, two different categories. One, it's wool products, and then there's another category for woodcrafts. And uh, we're hoping to expand those lines to to include any number of different crafts that you can find that are hand-produced right here in the North Caucasus. It's kind of eye-popping. I mean... So the wool one, I see a shawl. I see like a manly hand with these giant shears, like actually shearing the, <laughs> the sheep. And then these woodcrafts, who've got kind of bowls or vases, different things. But it's got this fine inlaid metal in kind of spoke um, patterns or a sun pattern. I mean, there's a lot of different, and there are lots of thin lines. And I can't really like conceive how it's produced. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, again, I just want to point that's Elvis Elevation lbruceelevation.com and there's this mountain craft shop. That's really cool. Yeah. So, all right, Shannon, let's, I want to pitch your tours right now to our listeners. So I think of all of our people listening, you have some tour or are developing a tour that would at least one of them that would pique every person's interest that's listening. So right now let's go through them just real quick. Um, Do you have a, do you offer skiing? Yeah, so we have a, a winter season, and it's going to be from January 1 until around March 15th. And we have three snow skiing, snowboarding packages. Uh, one is called Arkees Resort. Okay. Uh, one is called Dumbai Resort, and the other is a combination of the two, where we've already put together what we think would be an ideal mix of both resorts wow. for people to experience. I would love to do that. Having been to both, I would love to do both. All right, so uh, if you love the winter and you love uh, winter sports, there's one for you. How about we mentioned horses? So you've got a horse tour riding on horses, right? Mentioned rafting, and right now rafting's still in the development, but okay. rafting would end up being a part of one of our Waters of Eden tours, and so uh-huh. we would work that into uh, the Waters of Eden uh, combo set, which right now is our hiking trekking. It's our most most diverse tour. It's right now divided into two parts. The first part is for the, um, I would say, less physically able. You know, it, not not everyone in our population segment is able to get out there and trek 
you yeah. know, 100 kilometers in a week. And that could even be for people who are maybe a little older, but still like to get out in nature. That's exactly right. Yeah. Or maybe you can do it. You just want some more relaxed. Yeah, you just yeah, like to walk slow. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. And then the, the second half of that tour is, you know, what we would consider to be extreme trekking. It's it's trekking ups and downs uh, for numerous days on end. And, of course, for the people who can do that, it, it, it's, again, I'm going to use the word epic. Uh, mm-hmm. But for, you know, the people that you know, they're not out there doing that on a regular basis, then you're probably going to take a chance on the part one and just enjoy the, the more scenic route that we can show you without you doing all the, huh. the physical labor. So- all right, so that's your basic hiking, trekking, camping package. What about climbing? Right, so for our alpinists in the group or people who are aspiring alpinists, uh, you've always wanted to climb the seven summits, then this is the perfect time and place to, to start on Mount Elbrus. Uh, Extreme Elbrus is the name of the tour, and uh, we've, got, we've got guides that we've already you know told them to assess the the experience level of the clients involved and take them up the appropriate route but for us uh supreme is to try to get everyone to the top and so uh you know it may be that everyone has the opinion right now that if you attempt it you will make it but you should know that it, it does actually require some cardio and conditioning and uh you know you you really have to want to make it to the top. I mean, uh, it's it's a great, fun adventure, but also, in a sense, it's a spiritual journey with yourself. You know, mm. it's it's going to be just uh, you and the mountain at different points, and there's nothing the guide can do to help you put one foot in front of the other. But if, if you think that that kind of challenge is what you've been waiting for in your life, wow. then jump in there because it's, it's really great. Um, it's a great adventure all That's the way awesome. to the top. Super. Very cool. So climbing. And th- does that include, when you say climbing, is there rock climbing, like actual hands on rock, or just the mountaineering kind of climbing? So that depends on the, the level of climber that you are. But, I mean, I would say that to this point we've had just novices that want to make it to the top, and so we take pretty much the untechnical route. I mean, there, we, we'll put an ice axe in your hand if you want it, and uh, you can use that to balance yourself. But in reality, you wouldn't even necessarily have to have poles or an ice axe. You All could right. do it without it. It's, it's really just a, a test of will and endurance. Mm. Excellent. Cool. Okay, you mentioned earlier in the podcast you've been developing a biking tour. Is that right? That's right. So we're going to, in 2018, offer for the first time two different levels of mountain biking terrain. One is a a novice level terrain, and it's going to be uh, probably akin to 20 kilometers per day over Mm. terrain that's not that rough. Think think, uh, maybe potholed roads and gravel roads that you know, what wouldn't be easy, but wouldn't also be that hard and that, that physically demanding. So something in the direction of a bike touring, but that, on a mountain bike. That's right. And you would do it on a mountain bike just because, uh, you know, if you have bike touring, you expect that the quality of your roads are always going to be sufficient to keep your bike intact. <laughs> but <laughs> these roads definitely it's do not shot. qualify. <laughs> Uh, that we'll be taking groups on. And yeah. and so that's the the novice route. But the let me just take a second to tell you about this extreme route. 
Uh, this extreme route is really going to be incredible. I, I can't wait to find a group of people that feel like they're up for the the extremeness of this route. Uh, we're we're talking about avoiding civilization altogether on these wow. paths. I mean, we're trying to get people to do in excess of 30 kilometers a day over some of what I consider to be the roughest terrain that God's put out there. Whoa. And so uh, these guys will be day after day for, I think we've got right now six days. Dang. Uh, day after day going 35 kilometers, imagine. And they're doing that over terrain that that's severe. Wow. And that, uh, you know, you, you might be able to two, two to three months out of the year pass this terrain with a vehicle. And the rest of the time, it's, it's snow covered, you know. And so you're not going to be able to, to even get to it, much less pass it. And so uh, I'm excited about that tour. If, if somebody listening is saying, I've got to do that, then please come and give it your best shot because we want to video you and we want to have a good time with you. So we're talking 2018, you said. That's right, 2018. Started, what, in the summer? That's right. Okay. So it's not biking on snow? No, it's it's not. Actually, we we offer the the tour in July and August, which is when the snow has been removed from the past. the best time. That's right. That makes me want to become a biker. I think I'm going to have to choose the less physically able tour that you mentioned. <laughs> Andrew loves that phrase. I qualify as wow. LPA. Now, I, I can't, I have, I've done some research on the type of tours that are offered throughout this region by different companies. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's not a tour offered like that one. Definitely is, not. Yeah, in the whole North Caucasus. That's really cool. Man, yeah, we're breaking new ground. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, and then is that it? Do you have any other tours other than those is six different all? amazing tours? Do you have any other ones? Yes. Let me let me bring us back down from the stratosphere to to <sighs> the planet again. And there are a, a group of you out there that you you would love to do something adventurous, like coming here to the North Caucasus and and at least seeing and experiencing the the places and the people. And nothing I've described at this point seems like it's a fit to you either because you know uh you've been on the earth a certain number of days already or <laughs> you know you just you've just got some some lifestyle that's not going to allow you to train up physically to do some of these other tours you know then uh we've got a, a trip called excursions to Elbrus and basically what we do is we we park the group in Nalchik and let that be their hub for each day going out into one of these valleys, having a super experience, and then coming back that night to, to the same place where you started. And most of our tours don't do that, but we've got one tour, this Excursions to Elbrus tour, that does that specifically to offer a broader range of people this adventure and this exposure. Now, if someone contacts you and they've got a particular need or a particular um, yeah, uh, limitation or whatever, are you going to be able to work with them or is it the kind of thing, sorry, here's the the bar and and that's that? You know, I mean, a, a lot of that depends on the person that's asking. You know, if you're committed to to having a great time, you're going to have a great time and we're going to help Definitely. you. And, uh, you know, on the other side of things, it's for sure you need to be prepared that uh, this country is not as geared towards the physically disabled or helping out people sure. that, that need a helping hand nearly as much as what the countries in the West have, have done to this point. And so it is kind of like, 
you know, a step of faith into the unknown for anybody that has some physical challenges, physical adversity. But we're going to take care of you. You can be assured of that. Yeah, I would be happy recommending my mom to do the excursions to Elbrus tour. I think that'd be great for her. And we know you're listening. Love you, mom. Mom. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Okay, wow. So you have, what I'm hearing is you pretty much have a tour for everybody. We certainly hope so. And if we don't, if you hadn't heard your tour mentioned, well, just stay tuned because we're still building. That is awesome. And I want to just say, if this all sounds like a big ad, of course, um, you know, what is an ad? You know, an ad is a bad thing if it's something you don't want or don't need. But obviously, this is a podcast. That we are your source for tourism, for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus. So hopefully, this is just good news and pass it on, share it. Elbruselevation.com is where you can find Shannon and his company. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. I'm really got the heavenly horseman thing, man from Snowy River vision just pulsing through my mind right wow. now. <laughs> my pregnant wife. Strengthen those horseback. inner thighs. With my pregnant pregnant wife. That's great. Yes. I'm sure that's <laughs> pulsing. Take photos of that. I'm sure that's pulsing through her mind right now too. <laughs> Something else hey, might be. So Shannon, we ask all our guests this question to wrap things up. What is the one thing you want to tell the world about the North Caucasus? Sure. You know, the, as a tour operator bringing people into the North Caucasus from the West, I would tell you that there, you need to create a divide in your mind between what governments will say about the North Caucasus and what tourism will say about the North Caucasus. Because uh, if you go to the, the political sites and you read what they've written about the North Caucasus, they've written you know, what I'm going to classify as risk management statements. They want to make sure that anything that, that might possibly go wrong in the North Caucasus would never come back on them. And certainly the, there are things about the history in the North Caucasus that would, would give them reason to write those things. But, uh, you know, there's an alternate perspective as well that really doesn't get written about. And that's that the people and the culture and the places of the North Caucasus are phenomenal and they want to meet you. You know, the people here, they want to know you. They want to know about you. They want to know where you come from and what makes you tick. And you, you coming here is their way to experience that. They get to experience the world through you. And really, you get to experience an entirely different world through them. Mm. And if you let uh, something that you read on a website designed for political risk management determine what it is that you get to experience about the North Caucasus, then that would be a crying shame. Yes. So please, please. Come and see firsthand what the North Caucasus is like. And it, it's going to require a step of faith on your part to believe that, that there's some adventure out there that, that has been waiting for you to experience. And you just have to be willing to take the first step because we've, we've taken the other steps for you. That's awesome. So Shannon, how can our guests reach you? What's your give me is email the best way? Sure, I, I like um, I like receiving emails probably uh, as as the best form of communication for me. My email address is Shannon S H A N N O N at elbruceelevation dot com. So please write me, and I'll try to write you back within the first twenty four hours. If I can't, I'll get to you in the next forty eight hours. But uh, for sure, I'd love to hear from you, and let's plan your adventure again. That was an awesome interview. Uh, maybe we'll have him back at some point, if not just to hear his beautiful Southern accent. Hmm. <laughs> Listeners, you got to understand. No one ever says that about my accent. We, 
living here in the North Caucasus, you don't hear pure Southern accents very often. More is the pity? Question mark? I'm just saying. Okay. All right. So, hey, you know, we're, we didn't even think about this, but we're going to try to see if we can get some kind of discount for you if you want to come through Shannon's tour company. Oh, yeah. We're totally working on an affiliate setup so that you click on, you put in our code, which is like two hot white guys or something. We'll tell you what it is <laughs> on his website. And he, he's working out right now what kind of a, what kind of discount he can give our caucus talk listeners. That's right. Stay, stay tuned. If I'm sure some of you are interested in maybe coming and experiencing the North Caucasus, but we'll see what we can do for you. Brilliant. So, all right. Hey, just a couple notes to wrap up. Remember, um, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave us reviews on the iTunes store. We, we want this podcast to keep spreading its wings to the English speakers of the world. That's strangely poetic for you, Andrew. Yeah. Um, email us any questions, comments. If you don't remember Shannon's email, email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. We can put you in touch with him. Um, we will have follow-up in the show notes and those will be attached to the podcast. And I think that's it. That's all I got. That wraps up episode six of caucus talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you when you get here. <laughs>